folks welcome back to another episode of triple g ginger's gridiron and golf podcast i am your host stephen kerr aka the ginger and here we are t minus 48 hours away from the 2022 nfl draft which will be held in las vegas nevada at the bellagio out in the fountains if you haven't seen it already check it out folks an absolute spectacle and uh, not many do it better than the NFL, and this is going to be uh, a real fun few nights in, uh, in Las Vegas and, and uh, a great event of the offseason that, uh, that I know I look forward to, one of my favorite weeks of the year. I'm a, I'm a junkie for, for roster building and draft picks and free agency, if you if you haven't been able to tell already, and, and that's going to continue for, for my lifetime. I, I'm one of those... One of those guys that would play Madden and probably had just as much fun um, doing the off-season stuff than uh, than actually playing the game. Sometimes I would just simulate the games. Um, for all uh, I know, one of the listeners out there, uh, Big Teddy Scott Downing, same thing. We used to enjoy the uh, the off-season stuff more than we enjoyed actually playing the game from time to time. So um, big week. We've got a big show ahead of us. We've got Oliver Hodgkinson's uh, joining us from across the pond. Our first. UK guest coming on from Pro Football Network. Um, he's a draft analyst, so um, he's going to join us here in a little bit to um, help us break down the not only the first round of the draft, but take a look at um, specific positions, player evaluations, and discrepancies that we're seeing out there, and just a huge variance in in um, prospects across the board at numerous positions. So I wanted to dive in because to me this is the first. One of the first drafts in a long time that that we've seen this, maybe the first ever that I've we've seen such a high discrepancy of of players on the on teams' big boards at you know mid teens, and and another team has them all the way out of the out of the uh, first round in the mid thirties, right? So we're seeing discrepancies of of um, you know half round to a full round to sometimes sometimes even two rounds as we get later and later into the draft. After we uh, we catch up with Oliver and, and break that down, we're going to get into uh, finalize our second part of the uh, the NFL draft, which is uh, what is going to make a success for these teams. And we uh, were able to get to uh, all the way down to uh, number 19 in uh, New Orleans. So we're going to pick up with Pittsburgh late in the first round, and then we're going to quickly cover the eight teams Um that do not have a pick in the first round and take a look at their draft, what they have available, some picks and some, some interesting thoughts that may come through and uh, we'll cover some of the news that's, uh, that's come up. We'll send you off to break. And of course, some big news uh, in the world of golf and, and golf starting to kick back up here. So we'll cover a little bit of golf after we skipped it last week, and then we'll send you on your way to go enjoy the NFL draft and a busy week in, uh, in the world of golf. And hopefully the weather starts to uh, change over here as well. So let's get into it. No holding back. If you haven't had a chance already, folks, Check out us. Check us out on all the social media fronts, but uh, specifically on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I did first time ever I've done it. Um, 
We've got a mock draft up of the first round. No trades. I used a tool on uh, on NFL.com. Fun little tool. Thought I would share it with uh, with everybody. So go check it out. Let me know what you think in the comments section uh, below. Whether you like, dislike, whatever you uh, whatever you feel. Put uh, a couple of your thoughts down, and uh, I'll try to get back to you as soon as possible on uh, on what. Uh, what your comment is and, and what your thought is. But let's kick it over. Let's bring Oliver in here and uh, welcome him to the show. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a warm welcome from all the way across the pond. We've got draft analysts from Pro, Pro Football Network, host of the College Chaps podcast, and much more, Oliver Hodgkinson. Oliver, welcome to the show from the middle of England. This is actually our first uh European guests we've had on, so super excited to talk some NFL draft with you. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to break new ground as an international uh, contributor from across the pond. Really appreciate you taking the time to have me on. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, you know, we talked off air with uh, with my old man and heritage being from from Scotland, and we know yours is from from England in the UK. So we're we're super excited. But let's get into it here, Oliver. We're coming off probably one of the the craziest, if you will. Uh, NFL off seasons that we've ever seen in terms of player movement, uh, trades, and and everything that happened, free agent signings and the like. What do you expect from this draft, um, specifically in, in round one? Because that's where a lot of people tend to look at. But um, I want to look at it just overall in general. What do you expect from this draft? Do you think there's going to be a lot of movement? Do you see that craziness, um, if you will, continuing on uh, throughout the the draft? Yeah, you mentioned it. You, you hit the nail on the head. Like it has been the craziest NFL off season that you know I've I've been doing this professionally for for just over a year. I've been covering the sport um, almost as a hobby for sort of three and four years, and and I don't remember a I don't remember an NFL off season that's been as wild as this one has been. And and a lot of people have attributed the the craziness of the the NFL free agency period a little bit too obviously there's um coming up uh, in the next year or two there'll be a significant salary cap increase so the teams are getting a little bit creative with um how they've how they've gone about their business in the free agency period but one of the big things that has caused that madness in free agency is this 2022 nfl draft class because it's it's um it, it's not top heavy in terms of quarterback talent and for a lot of people um, that has kind of caused a, a little bit of a an overall opinion that this draft class isn't isn't up to much um, isn't isn't up to scratch of certainly previous years and, and and while I can see the argument there for me I think what we're going to have over the next few days from Thursday through Saturday is we're going to have one of the most exciting NFL drafts I think um, certainly that I can remember I, I first watched the NFL draft in 2013 so you know for a, a lot of, of your listeners and a lot of people in America obviously that's fairly uh, relatively new but you know that's you know nine years um we've seen a lot of action in that time but I think there's a lot of excitement a lot of intrigue for this class across the whole three days now you you reference obviously there the, the first day uh, I, I don't remember a draft class that has got this level of uncertainty, you know, even the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trent Bulky this week in his in his pre-draft press conference saying, look, they've still got four guys now. And we, we know this is yep. tra- traditionally lying season, but the, the Jaguars um, have said they've got four guys in contention for the first overall pick. And that's really showcases the uncertainty of 
what we're going to see throughout the whole class. I think we are going to see a lot of movement. We've already seen it through free agency with the trading of picks, with you know, the New Orleans Saints and the, the Philadelphia Eagles trade. We've seen, you know, some, just yesterday, the, the Houston Texans and the, the New England Patriots pulling right. off a, a late round trade, which kind of seems insignificant when you look at it. But I think it speaks to the depth of this class. The Patriots getting two later round picks gives them two additional options to dip into this pool of talented players that um, there is later on in the draft class. I certainly think in the middle to late rounds, you're going to see a lot more players that maybe make an an impact earlier than you would normally see in those rounds. So while it's not particularly top-heavy in terms of the talent and the quarterback class is certainly murky, and I think we're going to talk about that later on, the, the overall depth of the class... The excitement, I think, comes from the unex- the the uncertainty, that depth of talent, and I think what we're going to see is a, a hell of a lot of trades and and some real action while teams are on the clock in in the next three few days. Yeah, that that makes total sense for sure, Oliver. Um, and and I, w- I had a question later on about that the depth and that trade specifically, but. I wanted you to speak to because, you know, the perfect example is today. Today, you, you know, you released um, just probably less than an hour ago before us coming on here and having this chat, your top five edge rushers. And, you know, whether right or wrong, we know the, the uncertainty like you just spoke about there in terms of where players are positioned. And, you know, it speaks to, you know, you've got a guy like Trayvon Walker as, as five, as your edge rush, top five edge rushers. And then you've got Hutchinson and, and Jermaine Johnson at two and Thibodeau at one. But why is there such this uncertainty in this year's class? And it's not only from the edge rusher spot, but it's like you said, it's also from a, um, the quarterback position, from the wide receiver position. You know, I've seen guys like George Pickens be, you know, up inside the top three and, and on other lists, he's, he's barely in the top eight on some, some other guys list. Why are we seeing such an uncertainty in this evaluation of talent? Is it just kind of an outlier year or have you been able to kind of pinpoint something that you feel is the reason why we are seeing this? I think um, one of the key factors of that is, and it comes back to the uncertainty, is you look at last year, even coming into last year's class, everyone knew Trevor Lawrence was the best quarterback in the class. And we saw, you know, we saw Zach Wilson rise up in that class and there was the who's better, Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin yep. Fields, that that argument, but there was certainty. So we, we knew that Trevor Lawrence was the best quarterback. And I think when there's certainty like that, it does, um, particularly in this, this day and age where you can consume so much draft content through social media like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, when you've got certainty over a prospect like there was with Trevor Lawrence, there does tend to be um, that kind of hones in everyone's um, focus on on that. Well, in this draft class, you haven't got a quarterback that that, that pulls in. You exactly. haven't got like yeah, yeah. You haven't got a guy like Chase Young who is clearly better than the rest of the edge rushers that were in his class. There isn't that that guy that helps funnel opinion. And and I think what you're seeing now is that there's an element of that. I think there is an element of you look at the position where there is so uh, so much uncertainty. Um, there's very much a pick your poison flavor to those positions in terms of how do you want this player, this position to to contribute for your team? 
what do you like to see out of, you mentioned the wide receivers. What do you like to see out of your wide receiver? Do you want to see a speedy guy like Tyree Kill? Do you want to see a big body pass catcher? And I think because there's no certainty, there's no one prospect driving opinion, you're seeing the, um, just a lot of different opinions are out there in the open and you're seeing a lot of personal preference for, for certain prospects. And it's just... Um, just that general lack of uncertainty is, is really helping um, uh, a real mixed bag of opinions on, on the prospects in this class. And, you know, the, the edge risk class, you mentioned it, it, it there. There's, there's very much, uh, um, for, for the longest time of, through the college football season, as Aidan Hutchinson was being dominant and statistically dominant and, and making his case as a Heisman finalist, everyone kind of looks at Hayden Hutchinson and go, oh, yeah, this is the guy. But actually, when you break down the tape, there's quite a few, a few flaws in his game. And I think, again, this drives the uncertainty and the, the lack of, of general consensus because do you, do you mask those flaws with your evaluation or do you take those uh, Aiden Hutchinson as he is as a, as, a, as a prospect now and then compare him to Trayvon Walker, who's got such a large upside, I think you're seeing it again. You're seeing a difference between people projecting what a player can be versus what a player is now. And again, the social media has has that um, ability to help people get their opinions out there. Um, so I think that there is a there's a large number of reasons, but it all comes back to the fact that there isn't at the top of this class there isn't a standout. Um, prospect that has separated themselves to the point where people can go, do you know what? This guy's the best at his position. This guy's the best at his position. And it, it really is open to interpretation of, of what you see on film and what you want to see that player be able to do at the next level. Yeah, and and, and how they'll fit in the specific scheme and system of a specific team that, that's looking at that prospect too, right? Exactly. This, yeah. And this is, this is such a huge part of evaluation that people don't take into consideration and we'll use let's use last year's class as an example like mac jones couldn't have gone into the jacksonville jaguars and been um as as i use the word successful in in air quotation marks couldn't be as successful as he, he was at the new england patriots for example and likewise if trevor lawrence had been in that patriots team rather than that jacksonville jaguars team you would have seen him have a more successful season and particularly for quarterbacks, um, that landing spot and what they're going to be asked to do in year one is a huge, um, huge um, part of the evaluation process. We were talking about this last night on the Pro Football Network Premier NFL Draft podcast. You look at the quarterback situation in this class and arguably your guys like Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter and, and Matt Corral have got vastly greater upside. But what other situation are they going to go be able to go into? You look at teams that need quarterbacks, the Carolina Panthers at six is one that yep. stands out. You couldn't put Malik Willis behind that offensive line. You couldn't put Desmond Ritter behind that offensive line. You couldn't put Matt Corral behind that offensive line in year one. But you could put a guy like Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett. in there. Yep. And that's and and that you know that is one of the nuances of evaluation. And again, it's it's one of the things that makes this class so fascinating. I think. Yeah, and I think I think you're onto something too with the quarterbacks. You know, I listened to to Brandon Bean speak this morning before um, before we came on here, um, general manager of the Buffalo Bills, and he talked specifically about the quarterbacks. And I think you're right in terms of the quarterbacks. You look, and last year's draft's a perfect example. 
if you've got four to five to six top level quarterbacks that all have that first round grade that that teams across the NFL will feel comfortable within that top 15 10 to 15 picks you know hey we've got five quarterbacks that we feel comfortable taking anywhere from one to 15 it kind of settles that draft board down when you don't have that you're right. It, all of a sudden now teams start to look a little bit more t- um, team need oriented or, you know, how can we fill a position at wide receiver or pass rusher or corner or tackle or on that offensive line or take the best interior offensive lineman. Now, all of a sudden that scheme fit becomes more in play as to, okay, like you said, what type of receiver are we looking at? Or, you know, are we looking for a press man corner? Or are we looking for an off zone corner? all those things start to come in and that's when you see those evaluations um, start to fluctuate and variant have so much variance like we see in a year here, like 2022. So I think you're, I think you're spot on with that analysis, Oliver. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's yeah. uh, it, and again, you know, it's one of the things that makes, um, it makes this class so exciting. I think um, mm-hmm. to, to, as a pure evaluation thing, it's, yeah, it's, it might not be exciting for the layman because of the quarterbacks, but the the actual the rest of the class is so exciting to try and figure out how much this might work. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and who and where they're going to go. Um, I wanted to talk to you, get your thoughts on um, teams drafting in terms of team need and positional needs as compared to this best available. Because I kind of feel like this whole GM speak of you know, we're going to take the best available player and and the guy who's, um, you know, or the prospect who's, you know, top on our board is, is kind of a, a false narrative. How do you feel about that? Because when I look back and, and draft over draft and team over team, whether a team's got six picks, eight picks, 10 picks, 12 picks, whatever it may be, by the time you add up their entire draft class, they've filled 75% of their needs are, or picks are always made via you know, what they're trying to fill on the roster. Do you, do you think that's a false narrative or do you actually think these teams are drafting the best available prospect? I think it depends on, um, it depends on the team and it depends on the prospect in question. I really do. Like when I, when I do the the mock drafts that we do at Pro Football Network, I always try and draft for need. And I think that makes the most sense, particularly if you start doing before um, free agency um, mock drafts, that having the, the the angle of um, drafting for positional need rather than than on talent, and, and sometimes those two things just align perfectly. I mean, we did a we did a mock draft last night in the Pro Football Network space where Devin Lloyd fell to the New England Patriots. He was the best player on the board, and he was um, a positional team need fit, and that that works out perfectly. But yep. you can have a situation where you look at a team like the Houston Texans or the Detroit Lions; they have got a whole host of needs. Um, surely then taking the best player possible and fitting them into your team is the, the best course of action. But on the flip side, you get, for me, who the best player in the class is Kyle Hamilton. We know the safety position isn't valued that highly in the NFL to take a guy like Kyle Hamilton. We're hearing he may slip down as far as 15 to the 20 range. Yep. Um, and and then that, that makes that whole BPA versus um, positional team need quite a... 
a detailed argument. There's there's so much that goes into it for the the team that are on the clock and the the players that are involved. Um, but I think, like you say, by by the time you get to it, the end of it, like the Miami Dolphins this year will be an interesting team to to watch this in practice because they've only got four picks and they've got a load of needs. Um, and the board will see how it falls when it gets to them at one hundred two and one twenty five and and the, the two seventh round picks that they've got. Um, if you've got a, like you say, if you've got a whole ton of needs, you're probably going to be able to hit them with pretty much the best player or two that is available as the, as the draft progresses. Yeah, I, I find in in terms of the needs too, I find teams sometimes, you know, there's there's prospects and picks in that those first couple rounds that that you can't pass up on, and that you know their value is far outseed outweighs the need that's available at that particular time in terms of, you know, they may be drafting 25th overall and they had that player ranked as the 13th or 14th best player on their board. You know, you're going to accumulate that talent. You can't pass up on it as, as, cause as, as I find you move further on into the draft into the Friday, second and third day, Friday, Saturday, um, you know, it's almost become specifically team need oriented and trying to fill those, those holes. It's, it's fascinating as well because you take the Jacksonville Jaguars as an example in this draft class, and I, I've, I've been banging this drum for a while. You look at the strengths of this class, you could take... So we know the Jacksonville Jaguars' biggest need is edge rusher, and that is really driving the Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker conversation at the top of the class. But for me, I think you take a guy like Evan Neal at one overall, and you have got a, pa- a pass protector there for Trevor Lawrence, you can still get, with this deep class of edge rushers, you can still get a day one starting contributor on the edge, probably at pick 33 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So it's it's really does, you really do have to take into account the the potential depth of the positions that are involved in where your needs are and who may or may not still be on the board when you get to your next pick. So for the Jaguars, you're not going to get a guy like Evan Neal at 33 because the drop-off after the first three offensive tackles, in in my mind, is quite significant. Whereas the drop-off in edge players, you're still going to be able to get a a day-one starting edge player at at 33, most likely. Yeah, Um, if if you like the guy like Karloftis, you could come back up into that first round with some of that draft capital they have and and go get him in the the late teens, early 20s, mid-20s if he falls that far. Um, and don't get a guy like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to, again, another element of, of fascination with this 2022 NFL draft class. I know we've touched briefly on the quarterback um, spot, but I know you've you've talked about it and written about it. Talk to us about this quarterback draft class. You still see some excitement here, even though um, kind of across the board, it's knowing that you know we're probably only going to have you know, two to four first round picks uh, in terms of quarterbacks in this first round. But talk to me about it. Yeah, the the thing with this quarterback class is it's been very much derided. And you can get the, you can understand why. And there is the murkiness over it. But I think when I, I look at the class, I think you can make, you can pick out something that each prospect does to a high level. Um, so Malik Willis, for example, um, he, he's my quarterback one because I look at the arm talent, and that's not just the arm strength, it's the ability to throw with um, velocity on short and intermediate area throws. There, there's, there's throws that Malik Willis attempts because he knows he can make those throws that some quarterbacks in this class simply can't make. Um, 
you know, you can multiple arm angles, the ability to throw on the run, leadership that he brings off and on the field, the creative mobility that he brings. So there's a lot to like about Malik Willis. And now by the flip side, there's a lot that needs developing with his game to the, the, the point of we were making earlier. He's not a guy that you would comfortably put into a starting NFL lineup this season. Um, same with Matt Corral, same with Desmond Ritter. I think Desmond Ritter has his own um, issues that I, I wouldn't be comfortable taking in terms of his accuracy and his inability to develop that accuracy over his four years at Cincinnati. I know there's Cincinnati Bearcat fans who feel the same way about Desmond Ritter's inability to um, elevate his game and, and, and progress in that area throughout that time. And then you look at Kenny Pickett, a guy who is, is solid all round, um, but doesn't have one particular elite trait to him. Um, Sam Howell again, big arm. Yeah, Carson um, yeah, Strong, who arguably is a quarterback with one of the best arm, pure arm talent in this class, but has injury and off-field uh, um, concerns. Where we know, I know we've spoken to to several people who were in and around Carson Strong at the Senior Bowl, and teams really not high on the 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 character with Carson Strong in terms of. Um, how he answered questions, how he went about his business in in Mobile, the New York, how he, his inability to run the New York Jets offense as they wanted him to run it in in Mobile. So there's lots of question marks, and this is the thing with this class: there isn't, they're not, and you get question marks over all draft prospects. I'm not a sort of person who thinks that draft prospects come out out of college as perfect, perfect um, yeah. prospects. You know, not even Trevor Lawrence was, but there's there's significant flaws in each of the quarterback prospects. Um, so there, there is, there's an awful lot, it comes back to you, there's an awful lot of projection where some of these guys are concerned, um, which again, that's not an ideal situation to be in if you're a team like the Carolina Panthers and a, and a head coach like Matt Rule, who is arguably fighting for his job over the next um, six to 12 months. Yeah. Do you see anybody coming back up into that first round possibly to get the the fifth year control option on a on a quarterback and and maybe um, take one of these projects like you talked about like a like a Ritter uh, like a Strong like a Howell somebody like that? Do you think somebody could sneak back up late into that first round to to snag one of these guys? I think it depends who it is and who. Um... And who who certain teams take in the first round? So I look at the early the, the teams that are scheduled currently to pick early in round two, and the the obvious ones are if they don't take a quarterback in the first round, the Seattle Seahawks, yep. uh, the the Atlanta Falcons, mm-hmm. um, maybe maybe even a team like um, the Minnesota Vikings, who you know although they keep repeatedly paying Kirk Cousins can't be super happy with what they have with him right now. The, the New York Giants, I would suggest that they spend this draft trying to fully evaluate properly what they have in Daniel Jones. But what if they see something that they really like and they trade back up from you know 36, they trade to 32, 31, for example. And, yeah. then, and again, I think it depends which quarterbacks go when and how the teams have drafted before them. So the, the, the Seahawks, for example... I think they're a prime candidate to take an offensive tackle at nine if if they don't take a quarterback there. If they've taken their offensive tackle at nine, why not dip in from four? They've got two second-round picks consecutively, 40 and 41. Why not jump up and, and maybe get a guy? Because 
I think with all goodwill in the world, and, and, and Pete Carroll has spoke about Drew Locke and how much they like Drew Locke in the process, I don't think Drew Locke has shown enough while he's been at the Denver Broncos to warrant you being really comfortable going into 2022 with a, a quarterback room consisting of Drew Locke and Geno Smith. So there, there's plenty of options um, with teams that could make that move back up, I think. But I think yeah. you're, looking, you're looking at the Falcons and the Seahawks, for me personally, depending on what happens in the early stages of round one. Yeah, that makes sense. One more here before we let you go here, Oliver. Appreciate your time. Who's the team in the top 10 that you're kind of keeping your eye on that's that's kind of going to unlock this this craziness, if you will, if we are going to see it in round one? Um, is it a team like Detroit that does take a flyer on a on a Malik Willis or a or is it a team like Carolina that takes the quarterback at uh, at six with with a Kenny Pickett? Um, who's the team that you're going to go and, and the pick that you're going to go? Okay, now this gets fun. Yeah, I think you've made a great. You, you know, they're the two obvious um, ones with with Detroit. You know, are they in love with Malik Willis because they've had the opportunity to spend so much time around him? And you know what what Dan Campbell's personality is like in terms of. I, I don't see Detroit settling for another season where they're picking second overall again next year. So if you believe that you are only a couple of pieces away, well, I, I don't particularly feel like that myself, but if you feel like between 2, 32 and 34 of those picks, you can get the cornerstones of your franchise going forward and you don't believe that you'll be in the position to be in the, the sweepstakes for a Bryce Young, a CJ Stroud, some of these, you know, we've got a lot of good quarterbacks coming down the pipe next, next year. year. Yep. If you don't believe you're going to be in the market for those, then the, taking Malik Willis at two would make some sense. Carolina, it feels like they should take an offensive tackle, but at the same time, it feels like Matt Rule really has got... Um, to do something they can't really they can't roll into 2020 to nfl season with sam Darnold. it's just it's just not going to work and now baker mayfield trade may come during day two that's what we're hearing we also heard that this this the word was used by aaron wilson at pro football network of mutual disinterest which i thought was a great phrase to to term the relationship <laughs> the, the relationship between baker mayfield and the carolina panthers but it is not out of the question so yeah, those, those we, know, two, two... we know how much pressure that owner puts on on the coaching staff and, and that front office to to make these big moves right exactly exactly yeah. so i think they're they're the two obvious teams detroit and carolina i think you you have to then watch out for the big thing in that top 10 is going to be is a team like the New Orleans Saints or a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, are they going to come flying up with, I look at the Giants and the Jets both having two top 10s picks. They've both talked about wanting to shop those picks. Um, we know that the Lions and the Texans have spoke about um, what seems like a lack of interest in their picks. So you look at the Jets at four and, four, four yep. and 10. You look at yep. the Giants at five and seven. seven. Yep. Are you going to, in my final mock draft of this year, four round mock draft, it was the Steelers come flying up to five to take Malik Willis. Or, you know, now now we, we look at the Saints. What was the long-term goal of the trade with Philadelphia Eagles? Was it to get a left tackle and a wide receiver in the first round? Or was it to package those picks, come up and get a long-term successor for Drew Brees if, if you don't believe that Jameis Winston is that guy? Yeah. So I think they're the, they're the things to look out for. Um, is the the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New Orleans Saints potentially, um, 
getting into the top 10 to secure a quarterback if there is a guy that they really love in this class. Amazing, amazing. That's great stuff, Oliver. It was a, a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, before you go, let all our listeners know where we can find you at uh, from your social media handles, every all the content that uh, that you're putting out there for everybody. And so you can find me personally at OJ Hodgkinson on Twitter. You can find the written work at profootballnetwork.com, and that's at PFN365 on Twitter. Um, you'll find, I think it's still pinned to the top of the Pro Football Network Twitter um, timeline, there is the um, final version of our 2022 NFL Draft Guide. Contains over um, 200 in-depth scouting reports from myself, and my colleague Ian Cummins and James Fragosa, and also um, a thousand individual scouting reports from Tony Pauline. There is um, video content, interactive content, which goes behind the scenes of our 2022 NFL draft process. There's um, in, uh, prospect interviews with, I think there's around 30 prospect interviews that we've done. So there's snippets and full videos of those interviews, real in-depth sort of 30 minute sit downs with some of the top prospects in this class, including Trey McBride and Brian Asamoah out of Oklahoma. Really, um, some really interesting some content there for for five night five five dollars ninety nine. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thanks again, Oliver, for joining us. We'll have to uh, catch up closer to the season and maybe do a little season preview. Uh, but thanks again for being our first uh, overseas guest and uh, enjoy the draft. Cheers. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate you taking the time. As always with all of our guests, um, amazing breakdown there from Oliver and. Um, you can tell he is geared up and ready to go for the NFL draft and excited. And um, you know what? I think he hit on a couple key key points. I think there's some some linchpin teams in here, and and we we've heard the the rumors as we've led up here over the last week into the NFL draft in terms of um, you know could there be a discounted price uh, for teams wanting to move up because of. Just a lack of of top end talent in terms of these draft picks, and and that's that's what we're seeing with even Jacksonville having you know three four guys still available. You look at those first three picks. Traditionally in an NFL draft, those first three picks that that Jacksonville, Detroit, and Houston hold, they're coveted, and teams are, are a lot of times are trying to find their way up to, um, you know these these you know areas of the draft and these pockets of the draft. Um, you look at Buffalo a couple years ago with Josh Allen trading a couple, having to trade twice to get up to number seven. Um, you look at the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes making a monster trade to come all the way up to uh, to get uh, from 27 to 10 to get to uh, to Patrick Mahomes. So traditionally, these teams aren't afraid to um, leverage their draft capital, leverage anything on their roster to be able to come up and make these moves. But this year... That top-end talent's not there. So what we're seeing is a compressed draft in terms of, you know, you hear Brandon Bean on there that he's got less than 20 first-round grades. Well, if if that's kind of, if the average is 20 across the board, well, that just compresses everything in terms of, you know, I don't have to get as high to to get one of these top-end talents. And if the top, top-level talent, there's not that much of a drop-off from 1 down to 19 or 20 or 18, then... I'm especially not looking to get as high because the drop-off's not as doesn't fall off as much as it would in a in a regular year. So I can get to 15, I can get to 14, 12, 13, and still get a player that's high on my board or the player that I want. So that kind of 
limits or dulls the interest in terms of teams coming up to get into the round. And if if the demand's not there and the supply's not there, then there's really not going to be a lot of movement. But I, what I feel, Oliver, I think what, what Oliver feels is that I think there's still going to be those one or two teams that, that want to go up. And, um, you know, we've heard the likes of um, the Jets, Giants, Carolina, all wanting to move, possibly move back down um, in that first round from four, five, six, seven area that they're located in. Uh, pretty quiet from Seattle and Atlanta. Seattle's a team I wanted to talk about quickly here before we, we pick up with Pittsburgh. That Listen, Seattle's got 40 and 41 in the second round. And they've got some capital here, not only in, in 2023 as well, from this Russell Wilson trade. They've got eight picks, um, 72, 109 as well. So they can they can move up. If Seattle likes one of these quarterbacks, they can go up and, and get one in all the way up to four from nine to four. So they're a team that quietly not a lot of people are talking about. Are they going to want to continue to um, collect talent and wait for that quarterback next year? That's probably going to be the case, but don't sleep on Seattle. They If they really fall in love with somebody, don't be surprised. Um, you know They might not move up from nine to go get the quarterback, but don't be surprised if they move up back into the first round having the availability of 40, 41, 79, and a 2023 first-round pick in that, in that Russell Wilson trade with Denver. So that's a possibility as well. Um, and then you look at, you've heard Baltimore, Philadelphia, these teams uh, possibly wanting to move up and get their player as well. So I think there's a couple options as, as well there. But let's pick up with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Listen, seven picks in this draft. Three in the top 84. Pretty standard draft across the board for Pittsburgh. They're kind of missing their fifth round pick. Two in the seventh. Um, You know what? Pittsburgh's going to have to... If they want to come up to 11 or 12 with the likes of um, a Minnesota or a Washington and kind of do a la Chicago Bears did what they did with with Justin Fields last year, uh, they're going to have to... Get, move on that that 2023 um, first round pick or 2024, which you don't see very often, um, two years out type of thing. I think Pittsburgh's going to be patient. I really do. I just don't see them as a trade up opportunity. Um, I think you just look at what Pittsburgh does over over the overhaul. Can you see Kevin Colbert on his way out in his last draft here as the general manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers? Can you really see them making a big splash? They've got Mitchell Trubisky. They've got Mason Rudolph. Be patient. You've got a win now roster. I think. I think. I think they're confident in Trubisky, and and they may, if a quarterback falls to them or falls, you know, um, sixteen, seventeen, they may go up and 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 you know move eighty four or fifty two to to move up two or three spots to. To get their guy if they if they really like him and and feel, but at that point, uh, you know I think New Orleans would be the would be the scare tactic there. If you feel New Orleans at sixteen um, is going to take take a quarterback, then I think you got to get to fifteen, which would be five spots. But for me, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think they're going to stay patient. I think they're going to continue to want to add weapons around um, Mitchell Trubisky. I think they've got to look at securing the back end of that uh, of that defense 
front front seven is going to get healthier. Still got you know Alex Smith and Devin Bush and T, you know T.J. Watt, Cameron Hayward, some veterans. You know you might think about what we talked about last last week with Philly as well though, and do they go ahead and, and get younger on that that D line? Can they find a, a three technique to to you know mentor under a Cam Hayward that type of that type of spot or a Tyson Alalulu or a Steven Tuet who's going to be coming back healthy and you can find somebody that kind of redshirts for a year and then then can take over. Is that your best value in the first round? Probably not. You're probably going to want to do that in the second round in a deep defensive line, defensive end, pass rusher draft. So you might be able to find that at 52 or even 84 if if you really like somebody that late. But um, I think... All the options are open here for Pittsburgh, from like I said, from corner to replenishing and getting younger on that that front seven D line spot. We know they love their linebacker, so probably unlikely, but an option there. You can look at the the offensive line as well. I think I mocked um, Kenyon Green to them in my in my mock draft. So uh, lots of work on that roster. They've got the high end talent on Pittsburgh to to win enough football games and be competitive and they've got one of the best coaches so Pittsburgh's gonna be there and they're 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 never gonna fall off the map but there's some there's some gaps on this roster there really is and and there's some areas that they need some serious help and I think Pittsburgh's best plan of attack here is to be patient let the board fall draft the best available player if you don't like anybody don't be afraid to to trade back and um you know acquire more capital and start to fill some of those holes to help you win here in the next two or three years before some of these high-end defensive high-end defensive talent um, get a little bit too long in the tooth for you to uh, be able to you know restock and and continue that winning mentality. So an interesting draft for for Pittsburgh, the New England Patriots, a team to me that's had possibly the worst offseason in the NFL in terms of uh, keeping up with the Joneses and and. Um, with Buffalo and especially Miami in that in that AFC East, they have not brought in a lot of talent here, and they've got some good capital in the draft here. Um, they've got nine picks, but they've they've made the trade with uh, with the Houston Texans and given up their fifth round pick and acquiring um, the sixth pick in in that thing. So it just shows you kind of what their thought is there for um, the New England Patriots. But 21-54-85 for New England. Uh, they need weapons. They need corners. So, you know, those are two options in the first couple rounds in terms of, you know, finding more outside weapons for, for Mac Jones and that offense. Um, Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar are, are serviceable, but they're not top-end elite talent. Uh, Devontae Parker hasn't shown me anything in his career in terms of staying on the field consistently and, and making big plays. I'm not sure he's your answer, especially in a, in a division with Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, Tyreek Hill, Mike Gusecki, Dawson Knox. Um, the list goes on and on. If the Jets add a top-end talent at wide receiver, Rondell Moore. Um, so lots to do here for the New England Patriots. They need to get younger and faster in the linebacking core in the secondary so defensively, um, if a Kyle Hamilton falls to them, that's an option available as well. But uh, I think you got to look at New England 
New England fans and that fan base will be pretty disappointed if they don't come away with a wide receiver in the first couple picks. And then to me, I think they're going to try to get younger and faster on defense. Don't be surprised if you see, um, you know, two two of the four of those first four picks in the top uh, 127 on defense. Go get your weapon on offense. And then I think they still need help on the interior offensive line um, from what's walked away from Shaq Mason and Ted Karras. So to me, I, I would be thinking two defensive players, um, a cornerback, and uh, definitely a weapon on tier offensive line. That's, to me, what's going to make this a successful draft for uh, for the New England Patriots. And they're going to try to make their hay. Um, you know, two pi- three picks in the sixth round, a pick in the fifth. So, th- you know, they've got some options in that sweet spot in, in the draft like we talked about for New England here. So um, real important draft for them to hit on some of these mid-round picks. The Green Bay Packers. Um, tons of capital after the Devontae Adams trade. Listen, they've got uh, 22 and 53 from Vegas, plus their 28th, um, plus their their 59th. So they got two in the first, two in the second, two in the fourth, and three in the seventh. So um, you're able to move up if you like somebody in the sixth, fifth round. You can leverage some of that late round capital to move up into into that spot to to really find somebody, but. Listen, they haven't drafted a wide receiver in 20 years. Javon Walker was the last wide receiver that the Green Bay Packers have drafted in the first round. And I I just got this sneaky feeling that it, it's... Zadarius Smith walks out the door. It's a pass rush deep draft. I think I think they're going to like a guy that falls to him on, on the D-line. And I think they're going to go big man, big man. And then I think at 53 and 59, I think you'll see your weapon um, be taken there. I think that's kind of what I've seen with, with Green Bay. But similar to New England, I think you've got to come away with a weapon um, in those first couple rounds. To me, in the first three picks um, for the Green Bay Packers, I think that's ultra important um, to be able to find somebody. You know, Can you trust Sammy Watkins? No. Uh, Randall Cobb's getting long in the two, so that'll be tough. You look at that offensive line. Bakhtiari's getting a little bit banged up. Um, Elgin Jenkins has, has had his first major injury. You know, Josh Myers. It, you know what? It's it's a tough tough spot here for for Green Bay. To me, also, you know, they've been linked with with Vegas in terms of this Darren, Darren Waller trade. Don't be surprised if they look to add a weapon there as well. You've got two. Good running backs in A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. We know they like to run the football and, and, and be able to play action off of it. I wouldn't be surprised if at, in the second, third round, if they go ahead and draft you know one of these best tight ends available as a possible potential um, spot here for uh, Green Bay. But I do think, you know what, you got to pair somebody with Preston Smith and Kenny Clark up in the middle now. Um you know, Preston Smith looks like he, he I think he's gone to Washington. Um, so you've got Zedarius Smith. So you, to me, you've, they've got to replenish that that front four, front three. They play a 3-4 defense. So you've got to replenish that, that D line up front in terms of keeping some of these linebackers clean, especially Rashawn Gary, who's coming off a huge um, season, rebounded season as well. In terms of the secondary, I think you're you you know you got Jair Alexander, 
Rasul Douglas, who, who was a nice pickup for them, um, but he pops off to Arizona now. Adrian Amel. So there's there's some some holes here for Green Bay um, to fill, and they're going to need to fill them here if they want to get back to that NFC Championship game and and get to where they want to get to with uh, with A Rod uh, leading the way. Tons of uh, tons of capital here for them to use. Eleven picks. So Green Bay, you know, they've got the world at their oyster, and and you know, five picks inside the top hundred, six picks inside the top one forty, which is kind of the magic number um, for these prognosticators who are evaluating talent. That you know, they really feel there's a drop off at that one thirty, one forty mark. You might be able to push it to one fifty. After that, it kind of really drops off. So um, that sweet spot around two through four, you know from 30 to to 131 40 is really where the most value is so don't be surprised if you see green bay move back up into that area in that fourth round fifth round to try to find a guy that they like or somebody that uh, that has fallen arizona cardinals talked about them um cornerback wide receiver are huge huge spots for them um you know eight picks in this this draft three Three in the first three rounds, and then they they go quiet. Uh, rounds four and round five, and they've got no picks. So, um, and then two in the sixth, and three in the seventh. So, it could be pretty quiet uh, at the start of Saturday for for the Arizona Cardinals. But for to me, um, if the white right, white right wide receiver falls to you at twenty three, um, or the best available corner, I think that's your option there. And then on the other side of the ball, in terms of offensively, um, continue to surround Kyler Murray with with an offensive line that can keep him um, in that pocket and not have to really get quick with his feet and run around a whole lot. You know, you you saw in that that first playoff game that um, you know the Rams got after him early and often, and his his feet got quick. He started to rush a little bit. I think you need to kind of calm that down, and 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 that's a learning process. But you know, Justin Pugh um, coming over from from the New York Giants, uh, DJ Humphrey, Rodney Hudson, Will Will Hernandez. So you can continue to add to that right side from Hernandez and Beecham to that that offensive line, and and really try to shore that up um, from that perspective. Find that outside wide receiver, you know. Is a Traylon Burks available there? Christian Watkins is 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 he available at twenty three? Um, yeah, you've got AJ Green back, but you know, for how much, how many plays, and for how long? You know, can you find a a, a good value contract to pair with DeAndre Hopkins and Rondell Moore here to try to push Kyler up over the top? Now, in the second round, I, I don't be surprised if there's a, if a running back's an option at fifty five. You know. Damian Pierce is is somebody that uh, that could be available out of Florida there at the at the second round. Does Brees Hall slide all the way down there? Kenneth Walker Jr. from Michigan State is he available at fifty five for them? So I think for for the Cardinals in those first three picks, if you're looking at need, I think you're looking at wide receiver, cornerback, and running back are the big options. Um, James Conner steady Eddie, but you lose Chase Edmonds to Miami and. You know he's your big play home run hitter. A pass rusher could be an option. You're you're kind of set at 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 linebacker with with Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons over the last couple of years in terms of 
um, first round picks. You know, he still got Buda Baker, that playmaker in the in the in the, uh, the in the secondary. You know, cor- to, when looking at that roster, like I said, corner stand really stands out to me, and finding that, you know, number two wide receiver. You know, AJ Green is a third wide receiver, and Rondell Moore is your slot. Nice, that's a nice, nice combo. So if you can go ahead and find yourself a, a number two, a, a, you know, a bona fide number two receiver here for the next four or five years to pair with DeAndre Hopkins as he plays out, the, you know, his final back nine of his career here in Arizona, I think you've got some nice options there. I think that's what will help Arizona. Let's uh, let's close this out here with the last few picks. We're down to the Dallas Cowboys at 24. Dallas is an interesting one, and, and listen, tons of capital for Dallas here. Um, three picks in the top uh, top 88. Um, what they've got 129 as well. Three round, four picks in the fifth round. So Dallas could be active on Saturday um, or even Friday to really try to, you know move up into these areas where they want to get to. If they like somebody in the second round, they could come down from 56. They like somebody in the, the third round, moving down that from 88 um, and using some of those fifth round picks, uh, 155, 167, 76, and 78, and, and 193. So all their picks are inside the top 200 for Dallas here. So uh, once again, world at their oyster for the Dallas Cowboys. In terms of you know this the mid and the meat of this draft in terms of that those first three rounds i think for dallas you, you got to look at an interior offensive line you've got to find a way to get that that running game going and get zeke going you've paid him all that money you've let amari cooper walk out the door can you find a way to get that running game going and alleviate some of the pressure off of dak prescott and that his need to feel like he's got to um you know beat the world type of thing. Uh, in terms of um, the defensive side, it's a tough one. You know, I think I think you, you hold steady there, but I think for the for the Dallas Cowboys, you know, can you find a, a tight end too? Can you continue to to reshape and, and morph this offensive line in terms of, um, you know, a Tyler Linderbaum at, at center at 24 could be an option. Um, if you like a tackle, a Trevor Fenning falls to you, or the Northern Iowa, is that a potential option there at 24? And then um, in this draft, I think they, they've got to look at receiver as well. You know, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, and then who? James Washington? Okay. I'd like to have an, a, ha, add another option in there. You know, wouldn't you love to see a Sky Moore? Um, somebody like that that could uh, that could help Dak Prescott as well. So, I think a couple of different options there, but I think you're going to see some some sexy traditional Cowboys picks. I think you'll see some offensive line, some weapons in there, tight end, uh, and to really try to push this over the top. I think you've seen some improvements on the defensive side of the ball, and um, you can add pieces here and there. But it's a young young side with with Travion Diggs and and um, you know J. Ron Curse and Micah Parsons. You know, the pass rush you could you could probably add somebody in the third round there, but to me I think you're looking at interior offensive line, wide receiver, replenish the pass rush a little bit, um, and you can never have too many corners would would help the Dallas Cowboys. Buffalo Bills at twenty five. Real, real interesting here for the uh for this Buffalo Bills squad. Um 
kind of a, kind of a niche. What's going to make this a successful draft for this Buffalo Bills is is uh, wide receiver three. I think adding another wide receiver for them and and cornerback two. Um, a sneaky couple sneaky needs for the Bills that I think you could look at. Listen, you've got three picks inside the uh, the top ninety. Um, Brandon Bean knows he's trying to push this squad over the top, so they've got overall they've got eight picks. He won't be afraid to to use them uh, to move up if he feels the need to. I don't think he feels the need that he's got to jump. I don't think you're going to see Buffalo move to to you know five or seven and, and make that trade with Joe Shane with the with the Giants. I just don't think that you know that top talent top end talents there. Like who you who are you going to go get? A Sauce Gardner, okay, possibly if he's if he's available, you might think about that. But could you not get a Trent McDuffie, uh, Andrew Booth Jr. Let them fall to you, um, or maybe move up to twelve or thirteen if Stingley falls from from LSU. So those are a potential option as well. But it's very niche oriented on this market uh, on this on this uh, championship roster. Cornerback two, wide receiver three. Tight end two or um, the first off the top of my head. Sneaky options. Um, Tremaine Edmonds is playing on a fifth-year option this year. Linebacker is a sneaky option. We know the contract situation with Jordan Poyer. Safety is another option there that could be potential. That Don't be surprised if you see Brandon Bean in this front office fill those uh, those two spots sneakily. Um, on to number 26, the Tennessee Titans. Um Listen, the Titans' disappointment after losing uh, in their first playoff game after the after being the number one seed in the AFC, coming off of that twelve and five record, seven picks overall, uh, pretty standard board for them. They've got two in the fourth and two in the sixth. They've got no second round pick. Um, for me, Tennessee's a couple different things. Do you go get another wide receiver if it's available? We know it's a deep wide receiver draft. Um, do you continue to try to help this pass rush along um, for Tennessee? Uh, it's a tough, tough option. You, you drafted Caleb Farley in at a corner. You got Kevin Byard on the back end. So in terms of that back end, I think you're pretty set. But I think linebacker's an option. I think if a if a Devin Lloyd or uh, Trevor Umba uh, falls to you, I think that's an option for for Tennessee. But I think. For me, continue to help that that pass rush come along. Linebackers an option as well, and wide receiver. I think that's the big thing for them, especially losing. You know, I know Julio wasn't huge. Robert Robert Woods is more of a possession wide receiver. Can you go get that big body guy to pair with AJ Brown and really start to let them throw the ball down the field, or do you go get a Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson if they fall to you? And, and you know get that mid mid range wide receiver game to pair with Woods in the possession game and and really round out your wide receiving core. I think that the the tackles there's a big fall off there, so I don't think an option to replace Taylor Lewan or or Dylan Radnutz, um will be available in terms of value there. Interior offensive line might be an option to to replace an, a Nate David or an Aaron Brewer on that side. So a Zion Johnson is an option as well. Um, just a real utility offensive lineman is, is probably a good spot. So I think wide receiver, utility, um, offensive line, interior offensive line, sorry, um, 
for the Titans. Replenishing and helping that pass rushing linebacker will make this a successful draft for uh, for the Tennessee Titans. Let's close this round out fast and furious. We've got about three more teams to go, and the next one up is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Six picks for the Bucks, three in the first 91, 27 and 60. Uh, pretty standard draft for the Bucks. Um, very similar to the Buffalo Bills. This is this is a championship roster. We know that with with Brady coming back. Um, running back is a potential need here for the Bucks. You know, if they really like a Brees Hall or one of these these top end running backs, do they do they draft them at twenty seven? Don't be surprised to see the Bucks trade out of here if if uh, you know something's not available to them in terms of wide receiver. Uh, I, I just don't see an option there. You, you've got Cyril Grayson, Tyler Johnson, and then your your big three in in Evans, Godwin, and, and Gage. Um, interior offensive line. Listen. Uh, you picked up Shaq Mason, Tristan Worse, Ryan Jensen. You still got you know Aaron Stinney's there. Um, or sorry, he moves over to Tennessee, I believe. Uh, so that's an option at that left guard spot. Tight end is a, is an option as well. If if Gronk's not going to come back at sixty and ninety one, to me, you know, can you lock down the left guard spot? The tight end spots available, and then that that front. You know, you look at that front three. The linebacking core is, is rock solid, but, you know, Sue's walked out the door. You haven't replaced him. Vita Vea, um, William Golson, what, what's he going to be? Can you find a, a, you know, a big blocking, big passing? You know, is a Jordan Davis still available um, at that at that spot there for the Buccaneers? At uh, at twenty seven, that might be an option. Is is really getting to uh, getting to them in terms of the back end? It's a young back end that's going to grow together. I wouldn't want to add too many pieces, but to me, find that big block eating defensive lineman. You know, can you find a niche running back to help you kind of push this over the top? Can you find a another tight end to add one more weapon and look at that interior offensive line for the Bucks as potential needs? The Kansas City Chiefs. Here's a team that I think um, is a real potential uh, at, at trade-up option here at uh, at 29 and 30. Is Andy Reid going to be patient enough with everything he's got available in his arsenal? 29, 30, 50, 62, 94, 103, 121, 135, 234, 40, 44, 52, and 260. You've got two, eight picks inside the top 135. The Kansas City Chiefs can do whatever they like um, after that trade with Tyreek Hill and uh, with San Fran as well, acquiring their 29th overall pick. I think Andy Reid's, I think Andy Reid's going to move up to go get one of these wide receivers. I really, really do in the first round. Um, I think you continue to add to the back end of that defense um, in that division. You're going to need to cover, 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 cover. Um, with all these top-end quarterbacks and wide receivers and passing attacks. So I think go get your wide receiver, replenish that after Hill's left. Continue to add to the secondary on the back end. Continue to add to that front seven in terms of especially that that front front three. Uh, we know Spagnola likes to play a 3-4. He's, he's a little bit more multiple, but can you add some pass rush and some help there 
in terms of uh, helping out Chris Jones up front. You know, we've seen him last last year wear down a little bit. Offensive line solid. You could add a little bit of depth there, but I think they're moving up. I really, really do. I don't think you can trust uh, Frank Clark in terms of the linebacking core. I think you're set with with Willie Gay, Willie Gay, and and Nick Bolton, and what's available from from that side of things. So I think the secondary helping out Juan Thornhill, you know, helping out Legarius Sneed. Go replenish that wide receiver. Get yourself another one or two wide receivers, and you know, I think at that point you're you're fairly set to uh, to kind of get back into this and and go make another run at it with for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. So I think Andy Reid's not going to sit still because this roster does not need all of these picks. They don't need twelve picks. These twelve picks are not going to make a roster like this. You need to pare that down. Get it down to eight, nine picks, move up into the mid-teens, go get the best available wide receiver on your board, and if that takes 29 and 30, then you go ahead and do it, and then you make your picks from there on out in terms of some of those other holes. But to me, I just don't see any way Andy Reid sits at 29 and, and stays there and makes twenty pick 29 and 30 in the first round. I think he's moving up. Let's close it out in this first round. We'll talk briefly about some of the other teams. We'll send it off to break, and we'll come back for a rapid fire on the golf side. Cincinnati Bengals, um, to close out, we talked about the Lions on last week's podcast with that 32nd overall pick, but um, eight picks for the Bengals, three inside the top 100, uh, four inside the top 136 for them. So pretty standard draft across the board for uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Listen, this is, they're going to continue adding to the lines. The big, the big man up front at 31. Stay patient. Stay to your board. Um, if you want to try to uh, make a deal with a Seattle trying to move back up into the first into the first round, you know, does a Chicago at 39, even though they've only got 39 and 48, do they try to move up a little bit? It, to me, Cincinnati's got tons of options here, but stay the course. Don't trade up. Trade back if anything. You know, even an Indy at 42 um, doesn't have a only has seven picks, and they've got that 42nd pick. Do they want to move up back into that first round um, at 42? Does Cleveland same thing? Seven picks. They've got 44, 78, and 99. Do they want to go get an option? Is there a George Pickens or somebody like that to pair with Amari Cooper in Cleveland? Um, so there, there, those are kind of three options available for Cincinnati. But to me, for Cincinnati and, and what they're doing, stay the course, continue to build it up front. Um, you've got some holes up front on the defensive line. You've got to replace those a little bit. You can continue to add depth on that offensive line after picking up uh, you know, Ted Karras from the New England Patriots and Alex Kappa from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, can you find yourself another tight end? You know, you've got some journeymen and Hayden Hurst and Andrew Sample, but you've got no real tight end one like you did last year with CJ Uzama. So is there a tight end available at 63 or 95 that you like that can come in and, and compete from that option? And, and running back's an option as well. Is there a heavy bruiser available in those, you know, second, third, fourth round? So to me, um, rebuild, continue to rebuild the lines. Find the niches in, in on the tight end and running back side that that you may be able to find um, some mismatches and, and specifics niche areas on on those two positions, 
And I think that'll continue to help Cincinnati build this roster. In terms of closing out the teams without first-round picks, there's a few of them, and two specifically to keep an eye on. The first one is, is San Fran. Listen, San Fran's got 61-93 and, and 105. Um, so they've got some options, and they've also got Debo Samuel sitting right there for whoever wants them. Um, do the Jets give the 10th overall pick? Uh, does Kansas City offer up some options available there? And does San Fran really start to, you know, get some draft, acquire some draft capital in this year's draft for something like that? John Lynch has gone on record and saying, no, that's not going to happen. But uh, we'll have to let this play out and see what uh, what ha- comes of it. And then the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos got nine picks. They've got two in the third, two in the fourth for the Denver Broncos. So some some draft capital available. To me, they're going to be pretty quiet overall on the uh, on the first couple days because, you know, their first overall pick comes on day day three, or sorry, late in day two with, uh, with sorry, number 64. So 64, 75, 96, 115, 116, and 145. So still got six picks inside that top 150 for Denver. They're going to have the option to me um, to be able to, they're a potential candidate if they really like somebody to move up in that second round, you know, do you package, you know, 145 and, and 233 and, and go get to low 50s or, or uh, high 40s in that second round if you really like somebody for the Denver Broncos. So I think the Broncos are a team that's going to be active on, on day two and day three here. Keep an eye on them. I think, um, you know, offensive tackle, continue to find that edge. Somebody to pair with Bad- Bradley Chubb as, as Von Miller's left. I think linebackers a need as well uh, for for them. So I think a couple different options for for Denver, and I think uh, George Patton in that front office is going to be active on day two and day three. So keep your eyes and ears open, Chester. Um, big supporter here of the Triple G podcast. So I know he's a huge, huge Broncos fan. And then a couple teams for me that are are going to be real quiet. Um, Vegas. I thought they might be able to to move up here, but listen, Vegas has got only got five picks. In, in this draft, and the first one comes, um, same thing as Denver, late on uh, on day two. I just don't see Vegas having enough capital here to uh, to move up. You know, their first pick is is 86 overall. They've got five picks total, 164, 65. There's just not enough there for, for them to move up anywhere uh, close. They'd be leveraging 2023 20, draft picks, and I just don't see... Um, the new regime doing that in Vegas. So I think it's going to be a pretty quiet draft for uh, the Vegas Raiders. The Miami Dolphins, interesting team. Um, their first pick, same thing, comes on uh, in the third round with the 102nd pick, four picks overall, 225, 244, 248. So not much really for Miami. Their only hope is is that they've got some serious capital in 2023. So yes, they'd have to leverage a lot to, to get where they want to get to, but I think Miami's made their moves. I think they're quite happy. They're just going to sit, lay in the weeds this year, really evaluate Tua Tungavailoa, and then come back next year and be able to really make those moves. And if they need to go get their quarterback, they can, or they can really target specific niche areas of their roster if it doesn't push them up over the top. And then the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams, uh, first pick in the 104, the second to last pick in the... uh, 
in the third round, so it's going to be quiet, quiet till late Friday evening for uh, for Les Snead, Sean McVay, and the Rams. But they've got some capital in terms of two in the six, three in the sixth, two in the seventh. So don't be surprised if the Rams move up, move down, and really try to do what they've done here by taking these late round picks and turning them into meaningful players. DJ Reader and some of these picks here. Um, they're going to need to hit on this, this is an important draft for them in terms of continuing to find those value contracts late in drafts that are going to be able to come in for guys on injuries and and be spot starters here and there when needed for all of the high-end talent that uh, these Los Angeles Rams have. Folks, that closes us out for our draft preview over the last three weeks. I feel you're ready. I know I'm ready to go for the NFL 2022 NFL draft. Thanks again to Oliver Hodgson for uh, Hodgson for joining us this week from Pro Football Network to finalize our uh, our draft preview Thursday night in Las Vegas eight o'clock Friday night in Las Vegas seven o'clock Saturday closing out the draft folks hope you enjoy the draft when we get back from break we're gonna go rapid fire on golf we'll quickly give you uh, our picks for the week and we'll get you out of here we'll catch you on the flip side. Real life passion for real life sports. Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really want it like, here comes the, here comes the. All right, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed the little segment there from Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. Folks, let's get into the golf side here. Um, rapid fire. We we don't got much time. We want to get you out of here. Uh, Phil and Tiger, both on the list for uh, the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. Phil's put in for the first uh, Live International um, golf event, keeping his options open, so... Uh, who knows what that means, but my gut instinct's telling me that Phil Mickelson's going to play the PGA Championship. That's his way back into this to mend the fences here. I just can't see you know uh, this live thing getting off the ground. Robert Gerges is the only guy that's that's fully committed. We'll see here over the next uh, few weeks as we're just over T minus over a month away from this thing. But in terms of the golf world, we're gearing up here. Some big time majors coming up over the next few weeks, so. Um, one to keep you just fresh on the golf side. The LPGA Tour came off playing in uh, playing in LA at Wilshire uh, Country Club, phenomenal golf course located pretty much right in downtown Los Angeles. They stay in that area and they're at Palos Verdes Championship at Palos Verdes Golf Club, just outside of uh, just outside of LA, I believe, closer to Culver City, and uh, they're gearing up. Yeah, June 2nd to June 5th at Pine Needles is their U.S. Open. So, ladies got a couple more events. There's a week off in between there as well. Um, Brooke Henderson's looking to rebound, get her game sharp. Um, a lot of the top players in the world are, are playing well. Hopefully, we can get Nelly quarterback for, for the ladies for the U.S. Open. Um, 
and uh, Annika Sorenstam, I think, I believe is going to play at that uh, that Pine Needles event. So it'll be great to see her back there after uh, she won, I believe, her first U.S. Open there. Or I know she won a U.S. Open. I believe it was her first. So the ladies are starting to gear up for that. So real exciting. Shout out to Aaron Cockrell. Um, you know, this kid from Canada, um, just outside of Winnipeg, playing phenomenal golf um, in, in Spain this week at the uh the ISPS uh, Honda Championship in Spain and they're at the uh Catalunya Championship same in Spain as well um but he's committed to play the RBC uh Canadian Open which is great for RBC to invite that uh to extend that invite another Canadian into the field this kid deserves it uh T3 last week listen T21 at Qatar T28 at the Mali Golf Life T2 at the Kenyan Open um, and T T T twelve at the Subway Open or the Suburg Open um, in South Africa, he's playing good golf on the on the DP World Tour, and um, you know up close I believe in just inside or just outside the three hundredth in the world, we're gonna see this kid on the PGA Tour real soon, real real soon. His game is rounding into form. He's working with Derek Ingram as we know, and uh, this kid's gonna be. This kid's going to be something, and keep an eye on him. Playing great golf. Aaron, shout out. Would love to get you on the podcast. I'm going to work with Derek on that to get you on. But um, keep playing good golf. We're excited to see you come to St. George's for the uh, the Canadian Open, and uh, keep it going, my friend. In terms of the Champions Tour, um, the journeymen continue to play well. Uh, Scott Perrell, Stephen Ulker, Gene Sowers all go to a playoff this week. Um, but they're all playing great golf, and Stephen Alker and Perel specifically. Like these guys were journeymen's on the PGA Tour, and now they're dominating and playing great golf out there on the Champions Tour. So we continue to see that, and they're they're this tour is in the same spot, ramping up for for major, same as the ladies. Um, they're at Wood at the Woodlands, the historic Woodlands uh, Golf Club in Texas this week. Then they're at Sugarloaf at the Mitsubishi. Then they played the Regents Traditions at uh, Greystone in Alabama. The Senior PGA at um, at uh, Harbor Shores in Michigan, uh, May 26th to 29th. So a couple big majors coming up for uh, for the old boys. So some big, big golf um, coming up here in the next month. So that's why we wanted to keep you fresh. We got the PGA Championship coming up in mid-May on the, on the, uh, the PGA Tour. So you look at it, you got... May 12th to the 15th, you got the Regents Tradition. Then you got the PGA Championship on the PGA Tour at Southern Hills. Senior PGA at East Harbor at the end of May. The Ladies U.S. Open at Pine Needles. Then you got the U.S. Open for the men. Um, then the Senior U.S. Open for uh, for the uh, the old boys. So just a cu- real couple solid, solid months here all the way through until uh, August. So we're gearing up for that. But... A new event on the PGA Tour, and we're going to send you off with our picks for the Mexico Open at uh, Vedante. Uh, par 71, Norman Design, 74-56 in terms of that. My big gun of the week, 28-1. to T14 at the Masters, T26 at the Heritage. Like I said, there's no... They've never played this event. First time event. First time at this golf course. It's hosting it for the first three years of this event. 28-1, to I'm going Kevin Na. My rock steady pick of the week at 60 to 1, T12 at the Heritage, T36 at the Valero. So he's been pretty solid here, making some cuts and playing well over the last month. And that's Adam Long. And then my long shot of the week, played well last week with Dylan Wu in at the Zurich Classic. 
Um, T15 at Putacana, T3 at Puerto Rico, so he's got no problem going to the Caribbean and the South American countries and playing some good golf, and that's Justin Lower. So Justin Lower, Adam Long, Kevin Na, those picks will be up on all of our social media fronts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Make sure you're following us along. Hit the like, subscribe, subshare button. Uh, you'll see those picks come out on Thursday morning. This podcast will release just in time on Wednesday morning for the uh, for the draft. So enjoy. Folks, enjoy the draft. Get out there. Enjoy the beautiful weather. Play some golf and enjoy yourself. And we'll catch you next week. Thank you.